Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, the Chief Operating Officer of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital and the Von Voigtlander Women's Hospital. On this edition of Women Who Lead, the Rocket Mortgage Classic is in town, and many of the world's top golfers are here enjoying the beautiful Detroit Golf Club. We'll meet a woman who has worked very hard on a new event that's part of the Rocket Mortgage Classic called the John Shippen National Invitational. We'll also talk about our mental health during the pandemic. And then the U.S. News and World Report rankings are in, and we have very good news for C.S. Mott Children's Hospital. A great show coming up after these messages. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, the Chief Operating Officer of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital and the Von Voigtlander Women's Hospital. Our first guest on today's show is Trina Scott, Chief Diversity Officer for Rocket Companies. Trina is one of our 2021 Women Who Lead honorees. Trina, congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ann and Luann. I'm really excited to be here. I'm very humbled by this opportunity uh, to be recognized by the two of you and by WJR. This is such an honor. Well, you know, Trina, this is so well-deserved. I watched you in action when you did your interview on the Paul W. Smith Show, and I said to myself, this woman is going to be one of our women who lead. So congratulations again. And I'm going to have Luann kick things off for us. So, Lou, take it away. Good morning, Trina. We're so excited to speak with you. My first question for you is, you know, I know in 2017, you were appointed the chief diversity officer. Over the past, I would say 18 months, we've seen a lot of other companies um, put um, folks into that title as well. So it was a new, this was a new title for other companies. Um, but, um, you know, your company, had the vision almost five years ago to create this role. So can you talk a little bit about um, the, your role and the culture within your company and how you have led with empathy during all of this unrest, um, racial unrest, um, a pandemic um, for your own employees over the past 12 to 18 months? Yeah, Luann, thank you for that. You know, the bedrock of this organization, Rocket Companies, is built off of 20 isms. And they're the vision of Dan Gilbert, our founder and chairman, of no matter if you're in a fintech space like Rocket Mortgage or if you're a startup company, uh, which is far beyond startup like StockX, um, we have the same principles. And those principles are sayings like we are the they, um, doing the right thing. Um, you know, every client, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. And so, you know, what we did was we listened to our team members. Six years ago, we had a group of team members that met every week who had full-time roles, but uh, they recognized the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they made the business case to our senior leaders to say, we need a full-time role for this. So we listened to the voice of our team members. We thought about how that aligned to us as an organization. And we made the um, bold move of saying that this is a role that we want to have full-time for us as an organization. So I'm forever indebted to that group of folks, um, starting back in 2017, really starting as the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Luann, and thinking about how does this play out across the ecosystem of companies. Um, 
the family of companies is made up of 100. And you can think about the complexity of that. There's 30,000 team members in eight different sectors. Um, it's a lot of complexity. And so um, what happens over at Rocket Mortgage, which is the number one retail mortgage lender in the country, is not the same as what happens over at the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is a basketball team. So it was very important to me uh, to make sure that we understood the culture and the subculture within each one of these organizations and then aligned our strategy around four key um, pin pinnacle parts of our organization. That is recruiting talent. That is how is our community outreach? Also, what are we doing in this e entrepreneur ecosystem for bringing in um, not only new vendors, but supporting local diverse vendors? And then lastly, how are we engaged in retaining and growing our talent internally. And so um, based off of those four uh, pillars, we then drew out our strategy. And over the last 17 months, um, it has been very beneficial that we had those um, pieces of the puzzle already there. And then we doubled down on that effort, Luann, with ensuring that we rooted out inequities in our processes that we um, saw existed um, and also really looked at our processes from a, the perspective of how do we continue to offer equal opportunity for not only jobs, promotions, opportunities to procure and buy, and also when we think about home ownership, ensuring that we yeah. have equitable opportunities in home ownership. So it's been one heck of a ride, um, but it's not done by myself. I'm, I have a group of folks that are behind me with my team, Small But Mighty. There are six of us that are um, focused every day, all day on this effort. And then there are over 130 team members that have participated in our strategic focus over the last 17 months. Wow, can you can you talk to me about what you're most proud of? I think I'm most proud of being a native Detroiter. Um, you know, I grew up in Detroit on the west side and um, unlike many of my family members, my parents didn't send me to Cass Tech or Renaissance, two of the pillar schools along with Martin Luther King. Of When you think about, you know, those anchor schools here in the city of Detroit, um, they decided to send me to Marion High School. And um, that was game changing for me for a couple of reasons. One is, um, you know, I did, I did identify as a girl, which the school is an all-girls school. Um, it's a Catholic school. I'm not Catholic. It's a school that, you know, is majority um, um, affluential. We didn't come from an affluential background. But the one key thing that was important was that each student there was really focused on doing the best in the classroom. And that was game-changing for me. It changed my mindset from, you know, just trying to make things happen. I was a student athlete to really focusing on what was important in the classroom. And that also just set me up for success as I launched into my career, not only at Oakland University, where I have a finance degree and I played basketball, but also launching into my career. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, society is not as diverse as we want it to be. Corporate America isn't. So having that experience of being um, in not a majority um, situation was very, very key. And I think it's made it, um, I think it's made it easier for me to kind of understand both sides. Um, it doesn't make it where uh, it doesn't have challenges, but it does make it a little more palatable for me in terms of having that experience very early on in my in my career. 
Well, I think um, we can absolutely relate with you because you are speaking to two Mercy girls. Ah! <laughs> oh my goodness, I didn't even know that. How crazy yeah, is that, I, right? I, I, we, are, we are bonded. <laughs> We're forever bonded, yes, yes. Well, um, I, and you know, Trina and Lou, don't you think that going to school with all girls is empowering? That, that being with young women and knowing that you can do it is just a wonderful feeling? Absolutely. I couldn't be more proud of, you know, being a woman. And my parents didn't raise me as a girl or a woman. They raised me as an individual. And that was so key because although I knew and I know that I'm a woman, um, it didn't make me look at things differently through the lens of gender. It made it look through the lens of, you know, being the best person that I could be. And that's the same way that I try to raise my 12-year-old daughter, Serena Scott, and um, really just giving her um, the understanding of what it means to be an upstanding individual, um, leading with a moral compass and making those right decisions. So Marion definitely offered that to me and uh, my classmates who I'm still friends with uh, to this day. Uh, you know, it's just a bond that I just think that, you know, if you have an opportunity to be in an all uh, gender school, man, what an up, uh, uh, a thumbs up that is. And I think a leg up. An opportunity. So, in terms of moxie and building moxie and understanding your position, no right. doubt about it. And you know, as we do this interview, we are right in the middle of the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and you played a very big role in the John Shippen National Invitational. Talk to our listeners about the wonderful event. Yes, uh, we are so proud of the John Shippen Tournament. It's the first ever uh, that we had here. This is our third year of the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And our effort has always been to weave DEI into our DNA, whether we have a golf tournament or whether we're hiring talent. And so the John Shippen Tournament is really to honor Mr. Shippen, who was the first American golfer who just happens to be black, uh, who played in the late 1800s. And so um, although I'm a native Detroiter, I moved to New Jersey uh, in 1999. And while I was there, I met a group of folks. I'm an avid golfer. I've golfed since I was eight years old. So um, I met a group of folks that were uh, focused on the John Shippen tournament. And they had a small um, event where they were raising money for um, students. And so a friend of mine who I worked with, uh, his name is Thurman Simmons Jr. Uh, he said, Trina, you want to come and play in this tournament with me? Of course, I said yes. And I fell in love with um, Mr. Shippen's legacy and Mr. and Mrs. Simmons, who have taken um, Mr. Mr. Shippen's legacy and elevated it to recognize the impact that he had on golf at such an early um, phase of our country and also the evolution of golf in the United States. And so for us, the John Shippen has been and a great opportunity to highlight um, black golfers, both men and women. Um, we have 33 golfers that have participated. Um, those golfers will qualify. One male will qualify for the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And two females, uh, two groups of females will qualify for two LGP LPGA uh, tournaments. And so this is, um, this is game-changing for us. You know, a few years ago, the PGA Tour recognized us for our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Not only have we implemented the John Chippen tournament, but last year we doubled on our effort of supporting uh, the digital divide that is here in the city of Detroit called Changing the Game. And uh, we're changing the game with Connect 313, 
which is offering um, not only um, access to technology, i.e. laptops that we know was highlighted in, you know, 2020, uh, the digital exclusion that occurred, 30%, roughly 30% of Detroiters not having access to technology. But we've also made sure that not only do you have the devices, but now we're working on bringing in community hubs. We're in a 10-minute walk um, within communities that residents can have access to broadband access. And so that's been game-changing for us. And again, it's not just the um, Rocket Mortgage Classic that's supporting it or the Rocket Community Fund. It is the United Way of Southeast Michigan. It is the city of Detroit. Really, the private partner and public partnerships coming together to really impact the outcome for where we know this will head us into the future and providing opportunities for our residents. And so um, we're really humbled by it. And we're also very excited to continue to highlight Detroit in a positive way and get others to see how awesome our city is. And, you know, Trina, the Rocket Mortgage Classic is, is such a game changer in so many ways. It's incredible. It is. It is. And, you know, like I said, growing up in the city of Detroit, my father uh, was an avid golfer. Uh, he doesn't golf anymore, but we played at Palmer Park just across the street from the yes. Detroit Golf Club. And it was, to many um, black golfers, it was um, um, our country club. Many of the Detroit uh, golf courses um, really offered that opportunity. And uh, and so it is, um, it's, it's like a full circle for me to not only be an avid golfer and play at Palmer Park, but now being at the DGC and being a small part of the bigger effort that we have around highlighting uh, the opportunity for Detroit to be highlighted, but also highlighting the opportunity for more diverse golfers to be um, involved and have opportunities is just, um, it's a dream come true. So I'm forever indebted to the Rock family of companies. I am so, so proud of all that we have done, and we're just getting started. We're not hanging our hats on what we've done. We keep challenging ourselves on what we need to do next. Trina Scott, Chief Diversity Officer for Rocket Companies. Thank you so much for your time today. And again, congratulations on being one of our 2021 Women Who Lead honorees. Thank you, ladies. Women Who Lead continues in just a few minutes. You are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, we now spend some time with Stephanie Prechter, the daughter of Heinz Prechter, a beloved downriver businessman who took his life after battling bipolar disorder. I asked Stephanie to join us today because she is the organizer of something called Energy Brain Health Arts. And mental health is something that she knows and she cares a lot about. So, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to have Lou kind of kick things off for us. So, Lou, take it away. Hi, Stephanie. Good morning. morning. What what we have seen, um, you know, we, we know there was a mental health crisis prior to the pandemic. And the pandemic has really um, put a spotlight on the need for us to help to help mm-hmm. folks. And I know in the past, I've heard you uh, speak about um, creating an integrative health strategy for brain health. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about what that strategy is and um, and, and how we can really help 
um, our community who is in such, yeah. such need. Right. So this is a really very layered issue, um, pretty complex, and um, I'm going to do the best that I can here. Um, first, though, I, I kind of want to address language. So even when Ann shared about, uh, you know, took his life or battled bipolar, mm -hmm. um, I kind of I want to shift that a bit. So in my brain, um, you know, I say died by suicide. Um, so essentially, my dad, you know, died because of a serious um, ailment, being bipolar diagnosis, uh, which is very misunderstood um, in a lot of ways. And and then also, you know, battling, yes, but he also lived a beautiful life. Um, and so I think, um, Luanne, to your question, uh, I've been on this journey since 98. It's now 2021. I just turned 41 not too long ago. Um, I do have the bipolar diagnosis. And for a really long time, I was kind of stuck in this idea of the mental health system uh, and almost into this like victimized state um, where I felt like I really needed this, you know, of course you need help from doctors, medication, treatment, the whole, you know, nine yards. Um, but I then, I then found myself in the arts. Uh, and, um, and then I also shifted language around mental health into brain health. Um, thanks to a few mentors in the space. And I think when you speak in terms of the brain um, versus in terms of you know mental illness as it has archaically um, been um, addressed, I feel like it's just an easier way to digest it. Um, and so I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, but it, I think- Yeah, it, it does. And, and I, I, I remember hearing you speak using the term brain health and it did it it stuck out to me as um you know just like we're we're taking care of a broken arm right we're taking care of bone health right so i i loved the way you phrased that but also how it's not only the medical community right so, and you started to talk about it it's the mm -hmm. art it's um it's other community organizations. So can you talk a little bit about, and I think that's what you mean by the integrated Yeah, approach. so I, I think, so under the integrated umbrella, it would look like, you know, learning about the brain when you're growing up, learning about emotional intelligence when you're growing up, learning about, you know, why does nature have an impact and an influence? Why does water have an influence on your psyche? How, it, why is that calming? Um, so like, what can you do that's good for your brain? Um, you know, regarding nutrition, uh, I mean, you could you could get into all of these different um, kind of sub fields, sub layers, uh, and and so again, like this is this is very I don't want to say convoluted, uh, but I I do like to say you know getting the getting the arts, education, um, ecology, like all of these things are worth exploring when it comes to our own psyche. And I, I think if if anything, we've seen. Um, you know, we, we have seen stories in the press. We have seen companies. I mean, my company has, um, at University of Michigan, has um, a health and wellness division to make mm -hmm. sure. And we were constantly throughout the pandemic reaching out to the employees saying, if you need anything, if you need help, if you need, um, you know, if you need support, if mm -hmm. there's anything you need, you know, so I feel like it's, we're, we're moving into a place where it is accepted and yeah. not, you know, we're putting people behind closed doors. We are talking about it. We are trying to help. Um, right. are, you, are you feeling that as well? I feel that way. I mean, in some ways, I do think that the conversation is still what it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I'd like to move even beyond that and really be more innovative with our approach. And I shared with Anne the other day, um, you know, in terms of diagnosis, it's nice to have diagnosis because at least you understand what you're tackling, um, but not necessarily to get, you know, obsessed with it and, and then, you know, collect diagnoses, right? So um, <laughs> at the end of the day too, it's, it, everyone has a very unique journey. Uh, and I think um, as you were sharing, I just, you know, one of the things that you can do that is sort of a, an immediate takeaway is meditation. That's just something that I picked up in the last two years and, um, you know, and do it religiously every day uh, in order for it to make an impact. Um, and so I thought it was always something that was very cute, but it, I didn't in incorporate it. Um, but that's something that definitely helps, you know. Yeah, that's, um, um, I love that you raised that because one of the things um, that we did um, for our employees and actually for families um, at the hospital was we created a recharge room. Mm -hmm. and it's a zen-like space for nurses and doctors, like just if it's too much and just, and we're encouraging staff to go there and meditate right. as often as they want. So yeah. trying to put some structures in place mm -hmm. for, for brain health. Yeah. And I go again, like easier said than done. And I don't want for this to happen in silos. And I also want, you know, for us to take on a more sort of preventative resilience type of mindset uh, so that everything isn't, doesn't feel so crisis oriented. Um, and so that this is something that, you know, is well accepted and well understood. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Lou, I told Stephanie, I would like her to write a book mm -hmm. because I think that she does a wonderful job kind of pivoting and changing the conversation about mental health. You know how she points mm -hmm. out about you're not necessarily battling a particular disease or battling bipolar, you're living with it. We're mm -hmm. all living with something, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Human beings, that's just the nature of being human. So mm -hmm. when you change the terminology, you immediately change the thinking. It's right. the same thing as mental health, brain health. It, it right. just totally changes the conversation. Right. So Stephanie, what kind of advice would you give to people, especially people right now listening who have come out of this pandemic and they're struggling? Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the first things that they should do to fix their brain health or work on their brain? Or health? at least work on it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say the, the very first thing that comes to mind is to have a conversation, you know, with your families about this, with your friends uh, regarding this shift from mental to brain health. You know, what does that look like for them? Um, and also to be completely honest with themselves in, in that we've gone through a very trying, you know, very unorthodox time. Um, and so there's nothing, you know, like simple about what's happened. It's a major shift. And you either, you know, take it and transform that pain or whatever has happened mm -hmm. into some kind of power or you let it get at you, right? So, um, I, I mean, to answer the, the very quick thing is to start conversations on this, um, to be honest with yourself. And then I'm going to say that my go-to is writing. Mm -hmm. I write a whole lot and it's not magic. You know, there's no magic wand to it, but every now and then there will be something that comes up where it feels like there's dots that are connecting. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to have life and to, to, to be able to live it. And so I think to have emphasis on that, is sometimes lost when we're sharing about um, brain health. And what about the mental health 
industry, you know, mm -hmm. fr from that perspective. Yeah. What do you think about how that's going? Uh, uh, you know, I think the model is shifting. So we went, we've, we've, um, we see more telehealth, mm -hmm. right? Where um, people are more open to that. Um, I do see some integrated healthcare efforts, meaning that they're in pediatric settings. People are sharing more about um, trauma informed care. Um, so that's helpful. Um, uh, I think, um, you know, I see psychiatry taking a, a little bit of a shift. We almost need to rebrand it in a way. Um, you know, a lot of different like alternative um, approaches and holistic healing, um, that's kind of coming up. And so that's a big question, yeah. uh, but that's my answer. So it sounds like you're a fan of an integrative approach. Yeah. Where, you know, maybe when somebody's diagnosed with with something, a problem with their brain health, I'm going to work really hard to mm -hmm. change my language, mm -hmm. a problem with their brain health, you know, maybe they do need a medication to just like any other condition to kind of get themselves over the hump. Right. But then your recommendation, it sounds like is, hey, you need to start thinking about meditation, mm -hmm. exercise, eating well, because everything that you put into your body obviously affects your health. Right. Uh, yeah. And again, I mean, I'm not a clinician. It's just because I've been in the system sure. for so long and then having lost my dad to suicide. So it shifts my whole universe. Right. And, and also, what is your definition of success? You know, that right there is, I mean, that can be game changing. Uh, so I want, I want for people to stay vigilant um, and I want for people to have hope and not, you know, feel like, you know, everything, um, like the world is falling apart. That's not the case. There's a, the sun will always rise. So, um, and I know that sounds trite and, and very simple, but it's very true. So I have a lot of faith in that. Now, Lou, do you have any other questions for Stephanie before we let her go? Stephanie, just very quickly, are there are there models that you've seen in other places and other companies and other states that um, have really, really gotten their arms around this? Good question. You know what? I'm going to reference Peace Love Studios, and they're out of um, Pawtucket. I don't know if I said that right, Pawtucket, um, mm -hmm. uh, Providence in, in Rhode Island. And Peace Love first introduced me to storytelling. And so um, I can send, Anne, or actually, Anne, I sent you a few of these stories. Yes. Um, and this is where I shifted my mentality to brain health. Um, and so they've invited people um, to share about wellness, you know, um, emergency room doctors, artists, um, the whole gamut. Uh, and then they also do a lot of workshops for sort of the frontline folks. Um, and I feel like they've been, you know, pretty su successful in what they've been able to do. Wonderful. Thank you. And yeah. also, people can reference the website, the Energy Brain Health Arts site, too, Stephanie, that yeah. you've worked so hard on. It's very yeah. cool. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, there's 11 artists, and all of them are participants in our study. And I was blown away because they all shared, you know, really how critical the arts have been in their journey. So. And so the arts would be considered to be part of the healing process. Yep. So somebody would take up painting or singing or whatever it is that they might have an aptitude for, Stephanie? Mm -hmm. Yes. And this isn't something that you will get credit for, right? Like, and we're not saying you need to post everything on social media and you're not going to sell all your work. I think the point of, you know, painting or drawing or getting things out is, is a process of healing. Uh, and I think people forget that. And it also contributes to this sense of humanity and culture. 
and you know who knows where things will go. Uh, but I feel like that, that's a really good start. Stephanie Proctor, you are such an inspiration. It's really nice to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Anytime. <laughs> you are listening to Women Who Lead. The conversation will continue in just a few minutes. You are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, our final guest of this show is Dr. Sarah Pasquale. She is the Jeanette Ferentino Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Michigan, C.S. Mott Children's Hospital, where she serves as the service chief in pediatric cardiology. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. And doctor, you are here today to talk about some wonderful news from U.S. News and World Report that Luann has sent along. And Luann, I know you're very proud, so I'm going to let you kind of take it from here on this great news. Thank you. Well, we wanted to talk to Sarah this morning because she is um, she is a woman who leads in our cardiology department, and I want to thank her for that. And because of um, her efforts and the efforts of the entire team here, um, U.S. News and World Report um, came out with their rankings a few weeks ago. And once again, CS Mott Children's Hospital uh, ranked as the number one children's hospital in the state. Great. And ranked in all 10 specialties for the 14th year in a row. Wow. Um, and this year, um, U.S. News came out with um, regional rankings. So we were ranked amongst um, our peer children's hospitals in the Midwest. And we're very proud that we are number three in the Midwest amongst um, some very, very wonderful uh, children's hospitals within the Midwest. So very proud of that. And Sarah um, actually works on a national team um, with U.S. News that looks at questions and scores and, you know, looking at best practice. And so, Sarah, if you could talk to us a little bit about, you know, what the what these rankings mean um, to our patients and our families and, and to referring physicians. Absolutely. Uh, as you said, U.S. News has been doing this for a, for a number of years, and really the purpose of the rankings um, is to help patients, families, uh, referring physicians, others who may be um, you know, dealing with a sick child or uh, in need of care to really help to make sense of where is the best place to seek treatment and, and how do I sift through all the information that's out there um, to understand uh, some of the different options in terms of care. So U.S. News um, uses a number of different factors when they do this um, and they divide them into three categories. They're called structure, process, and, and outcome data. So structure means just the type of facility and the resources there. Uh, processes are the different uh, care processes um, and other standards and quality and safety protocols that the hospital may follow. Uh, outcomes are then kind of self-explanatory. What kind of clinical outcomes? How do the patients do who are treated at the hospital? And then they also use something um, called the reputation score, which is interesting. They survey other physicians around the country in certain subspecialties to say if you could uh, you know, if you were treating a patient with X disease and you could send them anywhere, where would uh, where would you send them? And I think what's what's interesting is over the years um, since I've been involved, you know, the questions change and the questions 
you know, are um, rightfully so shifting or they're adding questions that focus on access. So how easy is it um, for a patient or a family to get an appointment? Mm -hmm. um, this year, there were questions about um, behavioral health and mental health and brain health, um, which hadn't been there in the past, um, looking at health disparities. Um, so, you know, really looking at, at what's happening around us um, at, that we deal with every day. And now some of those things are being formulated into the questions. Um, do you have any, um, any insight as to, you know, how, how these rankings either help um, or support a family's decision or a physician's decision to refer? Yeah, those are great points, uh, particularly just uh, take a moment about your point about access, which is really important. These are, I think, some of the the good things that we've learned uh, from the COVID pandemic and, and how we can um, improve our care. I think, you know, even prior to COVID, for example, in the heart center, uh, people may not realize this is not just uh, don't have to travel to Ann Arbor for this care. We have more than 10 outreach locations across the state of Michigan. So it's it's interesting to think about, you know, I grew up uh, way up north in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, so to, to think about traveling, traveling to Ann Arbor was a bit daunting, but we now have locations so that I think it's, uh, there's very few Michigan families who don't live within 90 miles of expert cardiac care from the, the heart center in, in Ann Arbor because of all of our outreach locations. So that I think is really important in terms of, of access um, and something that we've really emphasized, not just in cardiology, but it, but across the children's hospital as well. And then I see your point about additional questions they're asking. Um, you know, one of the things we've learned from COVID as well is sometimes you don't always need a, a physical visit or to drive in to one of the clinics or the hospital. So we've learned a lot about virtual care um, and ways that we can uh, interact and, and help to treat patients uh, through things like video and phone visits as well. So those are some of the different questions that they're adding to the survey. And I think, you know, all of these things are really important. We tend to think about some of the traditional um, data points or metrics uh, about hosp hospitalizations and care, but all of these things you mentioned, uh, access, disparities, um, mental health needs, uh, which was really interesting listening to the previous guest, uh, brain, brain health, I guess I should term it. Uh, but yeah. all, of, all of these things we're recognizing, even in our patient population, it's not just the, the heart, uh, really to treat patients. And so they thrive over time. You really need to address all aspects, uh, including their, their brain and mental health well-being as well. So Dr. Pasquale, as an expert in pediatric cardiology, can you just pivot for a couple of minutes and talk about how important it is for children that can be vaccinated to be vaccinated because of the impact on COVID on some cases where children have shown up to have some cardiac problems? Absolutely. I think, you know, thankfully we've, uh, we've seen children are, are less impacted than adults, um, which is a good thing, but certainly uh, there is also an impact and a risk. So would definitely encourage uh, all children who are eligible right now to, to get the vaccine. It's really important uh, as well as their family members. Um, and we've certainly seen children impacted both by COVID, by the virus itself, 
as well as by um, what's termed MISC, which is something you may have uh, read about or heard about in the news. It's it's not the virus itself, but it's the reaction, uh, your body's reaction after you've had a previous viral infection um, and sort of your body reacting against that in a delayed fashion. And that can also lead to issues in children um, we've seen around the state, uh, not only uh, with their lungs and other areas, but the heart, as you mentioned, um, as well. So for all of those reasons, completely agree getting the vaccine is, is really important. What about a couple of recent reports within the last couple of weeks indicating that the CDC was going to take a look at whether or not the vaccine caused some heart troubles in a few cases. I mean, there's, I don't think, I mean, I would say maybe a handful of cases. Where are you on that study? Agree. So we're still learning more about this. There are a handful of reports out there. Um, we have seen very, very few cases at, at MOTS of this and have evaluated some children with these concerns. We haven't found um, anything that would be concerning or severe at this point or anything that would suggest to us that kids shouldn't be getting the vaccine. So it is something that we're keeping an eye on along with, with other children's hospitals around the country, uh, but, but haven't seen anything to the extent that would suggest that uh, people shouldn't be vaccinated. And when a parent makes a decision, this is kind of for you and Lou, when a parent makes a decision about where to go to have their child treated for a serious condition, a serious heart condition, just give a couple of examples of why they should pick CS Mott Michigan Medicine. So one of the things I think that's really um, important and critical to, to um, recognize and to think about is, is there's a wide degree of experience across the country, across children's hospitals, especially with severe issues um, like heart defects. So not, not all children's hospitals are the same. Some have much more experience, uh, some much less than, than others. And I think um, <clears throat> that type of experience really is, is critical uh, to ensure the best course and then to help to deal with any complications or issues that may arise. So uh, one of the um, interesting things about the program here is we don't just have expertise treating kids around the state, which is really important, but uh, kids travel to Mott for heart care from across the country and across the world, really. We've treated kids from 60 different countries to date. Um, so I think that type of, of experience is something you don't find everywhere and, and something that's really critical when, when thinking about where to seek care. And Lou, I'll let you have the last word on that. Yeah, I think that the only thing I would add is that the, the team here of cardiologists and cardiovascular surgeons um, completely work together. It is one integrated program. You know, they were doing virtual visits before virtual visits were cool. Um, to make sure that kids throughout the state and throughout the nation and throughout the world had ac had access to their expertise. And, um, you know, they are a dynamic team. They are one of the, the, the leaders within this hospital, and we couldn't be more proud of them. Dr. Sarah Pasquale, congratulations on this wonderful news, these great rankings, and it was nice to meet you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, doctor. And on behalf of my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, I'm Ann Thomas. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great week.